Hey, it's your host, Chrissy Costa, and 52 Founders is back in Chicago this week with Taylor Katzman, CEO of Tiz, an online alcohol distributor ordering platform for bars, restaurants, and hotels. After my travels to London, it was great to be back with the Midwest founder who actually is originally from California. Taylor was working for Drizzly in the Bay Area when he decided to pursue Tiz full-time in Chicago. It was a great reminder as to why the Midwest is the ideal location to start a company. So I'm excited for you all to hear it firsthand. And with that, let's hear from Taylor himself. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, so start by telling us what Tiz is. Tiz is. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Tiz is a centralized ordering platform for bars, restaurants, hotels to jointly communicate to all of their alcohol distributors. Um, that might not be much. So I, I can give you like some context on, on why it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, but so like post, post-prohibition, um, America created three tiers of alcohol. So you have suppliers, let's say like Patron, who actually legally have to sell to a wholesaler or a distributor, which is essentially the logistics and sales force. And they're the ones who actually go out are the ones who sell it to bars, restaurants, hotels, um, or liquor stores. What happened, though, was they transitioned essentially the power from suppliers to, to these wholesalers. So these guys now have exclusive rights over brands. So in Chicago, there's only a single person who sells Patron. Uh, there's only a single person who sells Budweiser. So what that means for if I'm a retailer, like a bar, restaurant, hotel, I could be ordering on a weekly basis uh, for up to 15 different people each week. Got it. Yeah, actually, I know a little bit about this because my aunt works for Diageo. Um, oh, and I great. know that they, so I have a little bit of background, but I, I really appreciate that for reference because I know, and I have a few friends that work for, I want to say Jameson or Guinness or one of those brands as well. Um, right. Which but it seems like, a, yeah. Okay. No, yeah. I'm definitely wrong, but there's, um, but it seems like, you know, I looked at your background and you, you were at Drizzly before this. So why do you see the whole from going to, you know, why are you not going B2C and focusing on the B2B side? And did you find the opportunity when you were there? Yeah. So actually the opportunity was um, really seeing the opportunity firsthand was before Drizzly. Uh, okay. So, uh, you know, we kind of briefly talked about this, but uh, I'm originally from California. I met my wife in San Francisco working in startups, running business development for um, like a consulting firm that was doing basically uh, you know, online e-commerce. But that company was hired in 2012, and we had a crazy idea to do the reverse commute, moving from SF to Chicago. Um, we actually started a distillery. Um, so, you know, we own a distillery that makes um, apple brandy. So any new product, it's very difficult. Uh, again, like we we're saying before, it's a problem to actually get a wholesaler. So we were forced to sell this product through a wholesaler that didn't care about us very much. So I was actually running business development for a consulting firm in Chicago and moonlighting, going door to door, selling our product, which is called Ryan Hall. Um, mm-hmm. Blown away how antiquated the system was. You know, We would do ride-alongs with distributor sales reps. They were managing everything with pen and paper. Uh, we'd sit at the bar waiting to talk to a beverage manager and we're, we're just shocked to see like a lot of these sales reps were almost just glorified order takers. Um, that's really where I saw the issue. And then, yeah, exactly. Fast forward. Uh, I came on, uh, uh, you know, came on as, as a you know director role at Drizzly uh, was managing um, our, our Midwest 
are uh, launched and managed all over the Midwest. Um, and basically saw how you know technology really impacted the like you said business to consumer. Um, but you know uh, doing it seeing it directly from being our own mini wholesaler and, and the supplier side, there's there's a bigger opportunity um, on, on the B two B perspective. And you know, considering that you were in San Francisco, what are the benefits you see to being in Chicago? I love Chicago. Uh, you know, it's seeing it firsthand for the last four years to see like how quickly the the tech scene has grown here. Like, I know people said a lot in articles, but it's actually true. Right when I moved here, there there weren't a lot of big companies. A lot of people were, were leaving. I think you know, there, there's a few things that we have benefited. And one is like we have people like you coming out of Booth and people coming out of Northwestern, like two of the best business schools. Mm-hmm. I think now a lot of more people are seeing the attractiveness to stay. Chicago's frankly, like one of my favorite cities in the world, um, you know, minus like the three months in the winter time. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think we, I think there's a ton of talent here. I think there's a ton of companies that have done it before and more and more people are seeing it. I mean, there, an article just came out that Chicago has had uh, the quickest companies to get to a $2 billion valuation. We've had some huge exits and I think we're seeing a lot more uh, funding on, on the VC side to convince people to stay. Uh, and bid, build companies in the Midwest and, you know, more importantly, Chicago. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's been really interesting living here and seeing, you know, I work for a startup in Madison and you see that. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I, I love Madison. But you, I think wherever the top universities are, you made a great point, um, is where a lot of the talent will follow. And I, I see that happening now, especially with Boots NBC program. Um, a lot of my friends are in it this year. One of my close friends won it last year. And I just, I'm seeing Chicago on, on the rise. So I, I definitely agree. Yeah. And I think exactly. So I think there's a lot of resources like that. And I would also, and I guess you'd say, you know, SF, there's so many different people and there's so many different BC firms. Uh, not, you know, I guess I, I haven't built a company in SF. I've been a part of a few different startups. It seems like there's also a ton of amazing talent um, in Chicago on like the mentor side, that's like really willing to help and are excited about people building, um, you know, people building companies here. So, you know, even for, for Tiz, we have amazing board of directors, a guy named Corey Farringal, where he's, he's built up two amazing companies, one being like Chivo and Roby on, on San Francisco. And most recently was the CEO undertone out of New York, which was just acquired by a big company. I mean, we get, you know, we get hands-on attention with a guy like that and, you know, including another board member of ours is the CEO of Nielsen, which is like just incredible for us uh, yeah. to work with. Definitely. I, I'm actually going to say uh, point to the number of enterprise companies, especially CPGs in the Midwest that are just, right. I think having access to that is really interesting. Um, but to switch gears, we're going to focus more on you and your earlier years. So you mentioned before that you grew up in California. Uh, what do you really, you know, what was your earlier years? Like what did your parents do for a living? So do you, have any siblings, things like that? Okay, yeah. Uh, I grew up in Orange County, a, a town called Tustin. Uh, Tustin's right next door to what most people know, like right next door to Newport Beach, a little inland or, or Irvine. Um, my dad's an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, I was I was born up in San Francisco. He went to Stanford, uh, did his residency in SF, and then we moved, we moved down when I was young um, to Orange County. Uh I have an older brother who's who's living out in Pennsylvania doing sales, and I have a sister who's actually back up in in San Francisco as a teacher. Oh wow! So very diverse range of uh, occupations in your family. Yeah, 
I, so I, what so you... I was I was the first, so I I would be a fourth generation orthopedic surgeon if I decided to go down that route. <laughs> and so do you uh, want to be an entrepreneur? <laughs> yeah, instead we're trying, instead we're you know slinging booze. No, <laughs> I love that. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were younger? Oh, did you ever I, think about being up until I was fourteen? I wanted to be a doctor. Obviously, I, yeah. you know, I didn't know much other than that. Um, I went to like med- medical school camp at UCLA one summer. Uh, I was really excited about it. And I don't know. I think I just saw a switch. I, I started wanting to, to do my own thing. Um, I have a few uncles that were entrepreneurs themselves. And I thought it was really interesting to see like, you know, the businesses that, that they've created. Um, and then I started gravitating towards that. Did you ever have any entrepreneurial endeavors when you were younger? Uh, I, I mean, it's, nothing, nothing too crazy. I wasn't the guy who was like going around and, you know, buying Pokemon cards and then selling them to the other kids down the block. Uh, I, I did it, frankly. So when did you start thinking of it? You know, you, obviously when you're a child and you're thinking, yeah, your uncles aren't furs, that's really interesting. But when did you start taking it seriously, do you think? Um. I knew I wanted to go, so I don't know, in, in high school, I, I knew I wanted to go to a college that had like a business school. I wanted to learn more about just business um, in general. I'd also say uh, my dad was also very close to his uh, like fraternity class um, at Stanford. Uh, almost every single one of them, um, as you can imagine, left uh, Stanford in the 1980s and, and went into businesses. Some of them walked into very small companies that had five people that were like called Microsoft. Uh, you know, <laughs> so, you know, I think seeing, seeing them, seeing our uncle, so I knew I wanted to go in business and, and learn more about it, especially, you know, it wasn't something that my, my father was in. Um, so, you know, I, when I went to USC, I was accepted in the Marshall School of Business. And then actually my concentration, believe it or not, was entrepreneurship, which not okay. a lot of not people don't have. Wow. So did you think about being an entrepreneur immediately after graduation? So there was a, a guy who came through our entrepreneur uh, class and was just talking about like the importance of sales, mm-hmm. um, just hammered into it. Basically said, everyone needs to learn how to sell. So I, I knew I wanted to go out of school and I, I wanted to join a tech startup. Um, if you look at like in Silicon Valley. So I basically, I left college. I traveled for a little bit. I picked up my buddy, like my best friend in the U-Haul and we, and we drove to San Francisco without jobs. Um, and if you look at it, the number one thing they hire for in San Francisco, like if, if you're good at sales, you can get a job right away. And if you're an engineer, you're going to get the job right away. Yeah. So we, we met with a few people, a ton of them doing really well in tech sales. And I was like, that's, that's what I want to do. I think I'm personable. I think I can read people pretty well. I think I can, you know, listen and I think I get, you know, smart enough to push a product. So I, I, I got entrenched right away in, in business development and sales and SS. So do you find that those skills came naturally to you and that you were someone that when you were younger, you know, not in a sales way, but could easily connect with people? Or did you have any leadership experiences younger that were really formative? No, I, I think sales is, is one of my best attributes, frankly, like especially like how it relates to kids. On, you know, I think it correlates to an operational piece and managing a team. Uh, but yes, I, mean, I, I was very active in sports uh, and I was a top like, tennis player. Uh, in, in California, I, I led our team, like I say, in high school. Uh, you know, I think, you know, partnering both with that, like, you know, athletics and 
competition. Like it's very much, if you look at any tech sales organization, it's like, you want to be competitive. And I think I'm one of the most competitive guys out there, like, you know, to, uh, sometimes to a detriment. <laughs> um, so yes, I think I knew right away that I would gravitate towards sales. And so now that you're running a company, how do you harness and also keep in check that level of competitiveness? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, you know, I, I'm not obviously, so I think the CEO should always sell and I'm, I'm, I'm going out there and I'm selling every single day, but I need to, you know, eventually I'll be harnessing that back and, and building on teams and delegating. Um, you know, we just hired our first sales rep, which has been amazing to see, uh, you know, more so handling operations. And as you know, like a CEO of a tech startup, like, you know, we're always out there meeting with investors and meeting with, we're, we're building out partnerships and, you know, we're doing direct sales too. So, uh, I think it's like diversifying my responsibilities. Like, we'll, obviously, will benefit in the long run for the company. And so, you were, you know, wanting to be an entrepreneur. What did you have any other ideas? I feel like the entrepreneurs I know, this might not have been your first idea. You might have had other endeavors, or you know, what made this the one? So um, I guess it's a two-part question. Did you have any other? Yeah, ideas of that I, I've always, in. I mean, I've been working in all these companies. I've always had a number of ideas and trying to figure out like how it would work and, and how it could scale. Um, for this one, I think I was in, I've been an interesting perspective where I know this industry extremely well, both from, you know, like I said before, like a supplier standpoint, a wholesaler standpoint, a retailer standpoint. And then, you know, the really interesting one that, that just came out is the e-commerce standpoint with, with Drizzly and seeing how, uh, how receptive these large brands are to, to thinking about new mediums for them to advertise and to showcase their products. I mean, mm-hmm. we're in a, we're in a situation now where there's five times more products than there were five years ago out in the market, and there's the same number of wholesalers. So these these wholesalers are inundated with brands. There's no way they can they can go out and sell ten thousand products. So it's a really interesting situation where you know to see what these big brands are like how they're going to get people excited about their products and. E-commerce is, is going to be a massive focus, and in 2017, it's the first years of, like you said, you know, people have like Diageo, ABM, Miller Coors, Constellation brands, like the biggest brands in the world, are now creating their own e-commerce departments, which they've never done before. Mm-hmm. Well, so do you view that as a negative or a positive for you personally? The most positive thing possible. So that their their whole the um, all these organizations are are meant to get with. with to closer with companies that are are pushing e-commerce within the industry, and that's exactly what it does. Got it. And so, what was probably the craziest idea you had for a company? Looking back on it, uh, I could tell I could tell you a really stupid idea that I thought was going to do <laughs> going to do really well. So in San Francisco, I thought yeah. there. In San Francisco, I thought it'd be a really good idea to, uh, to like have another app where you can meet people that. Um, are like you. So like if you want to do a pickup basketball game or pick up uh you know pick up tennis or or pick up anything, like you go to an app, you could log in and you could see someone that maybe within, you know, your uh skill set. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, there's so many statistics out there that say like, you know, I think the people on Macs are having like on average five apps on their phone, talk to a number like a like friends that are VCs and everyone's like this will never get off the ground. But a billion people have tried to do it. Uh, and you'll never monetize it. But, you know, there's there's a ton of stupid ideas that I've written down on, on napkins. I love that, though. Where uh, When do you find <laughs> inspiration strikes you the most? 
Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm an early riser, so I, mm-hmm. I do really well in the morning. So I like to wake up early uh, and start working right away. Um, so I, I think anytime in the morning, you know, as, as I'm getting ready in the shower, uh, you know, when I'm sitting down, my office, sitting down in the office, but getting stuff done, um, I think that's when I'm at my best. I'm frankly not very good at many times. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, I love that. I, I, for me, it's definitely running, but I find that most salespeople love to take the day head on. Um, and yeah, so I, I'm a, I, I'm very active as well. Like I try to work out every day. I like to take a walk, like in the afternoon, like take long walks. I'm pretty reflective then I would say too. walk my mm-hmm. dog. Um, but like grinding out a million emails, like I'm not very good at that. that you know, post <laughs> APM. So, you know, you said you wanted to go to a business school, but did you ever think about eschewing education altogether, especially since your dad is used to the kind of odd mentality in the Valley that you don't necessarily need um, an education? And by odd, I really just mean contrarian because I think I'm of the camp as well, which is ironic as I am in business school right now. Yeah. So I guess um, to clarify that, I wanted to go to a, for undergrad, I wanted to go to an undergrad that had a business concentration. Right. So I, I basically took at USC, I was in, if you, like my diploma says Marshall School of Business, but so I took the same classes as uh, the guys at the MBA. Uh, you know, looking back on it and telling myself I wouldn't have done that. I, you know, I would have been, a, I would have been like a history major, done something of what I really enjoyed and then done like a business minor. Um, really why is that i love history i love reading um i think for those four years i could have you know been really immersed in something i really love like frankly um you know i took i had we had to take like three stats classes three finance classes uh, a lot of overlapping classes and a lot of them i did like um but i loved all the entrepreneurship classes that we took i loved all the operational management classes that we took um so for me personally, I think I would have got a lot more out of it if I did it as a minor than as like a full-on concentration. And so I meant more so that you ever think about not going to undergrad. No, that was out of the question. My dad, <laughs> <laughs> my my dad was like valedictorian of his high school and like top of his class at Stanford. He they, he was uh he was pretty strict on the educational piece and and even looking back on it, I I would I would never not have done the college I I, mm-hmm. I learned so much like not even just in the classroom but I think about myself I have uh, an outrageously fun group of friends that I would never have been a part of that are all like doing amazing things um for me personally it was like one of the best things ever yeah well I I agree in retrospect but I, I guess I was more uh, trying to needle at you <laughs> during the time yeah <laughs> Um, so let's switch up to some of my end of the conversation fun questions. So yeah, what is the best piece of advice you got as an entrepreneur? And what is the worst piece of advice you got as an entrepreneur? Oh, um, You're the first one. one I'm asking about the worst, which I just thought of now. But I keep talking about the best. So I thought it'd be interesting to hear four pieces of advice. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, on the spot, like the, the best piece of advice as an entrepreneur. I mean, I don't even know if it's if it's an advice, but it's it's very apparent. So I mean, you know, the cliche is like that the highs are high and the lows are low, and you basically have to to always ready to storm. And like I, 
being at my own business, you know, I'm not just being like an individual contributor or helping grow a business. It's it's way more apparent that uh, when you know you put everything on your shoulders and everything's responsible to you, it's like it's it's the most incredible thing when things are going well, and it's very it's very difficult when it's not. Um, so not taking everything personally uh, and like having a level head has been like extremely impactful uh, with this. But mm-hmm. for anyone who's, who's trying to start a business, like it's, <laughs> it's a roller coaster, but it's, it's really fun. And anything that you read not, or heard about personal. Yeah, that's not, I wouldn't say that's a piece of advice. I, I can get back to you on that. I mean, I, I would I don't know off the top of my head or no. No, fair. Um, or anything that you've read about that's super popular amongst entrepreneurs that you've found to be, different or do you find that the content out there in terms of books or, or say a medium post is actually pretty accurate? I'd say it's like, so on the fundraising stuff, like that is really accurate. And I'm sure everyone will tell you it's been through fundraising. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's like one, it's a numbers game. We had like 85 conversations to raise like 1.5, it's right under $1.5 million. Um, it's better to hear a no than, than to not hear anything. Like, you know, people will list that all these articles. Like it, it was the best thing possible with the VC would tell us no, because the worst thing possible is what you want is, is them to say like essentially a maybe or not get back to you. And essentially they're just, they're just waiting to get, to get another update to sway in one way or the other. And, mm-hmm. the, and the fundraising process is a game. It's all people funded by FOMO. Um, you know, we had a number of VCs that, you know, basically passed at the beginning and then we saw we had some traction that wanted to come back in the end. Um, so I think a lot of the content that's out there on the fundraising side is like very accurate and as well, at least on the sense that, that I saw in raising one round of funding. You know, that's really interesting because it makes me wonder, is it easy to hold a grudge as an entrepreneur, do you think? <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm serious though. I, I feel like, <laughs> you know, at least in my, I'm thinking about myself, I was in your shoes, you told, you said no, and then they come back to you when they find out you have traction and part of you wants to be like, well, ha ha. You know, you said no. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's easy in some senses. You know, I, I'm not going to lie. I think some of the meetings um, with some of the people, like I don't think I would ever reach back out to them again. Um, it's definitely really rewarding though when they said no originally and they want to come back and, and work with you. Mm-hmm. I definitely yeah. wouldn't, you know, if it's at, at the end of the day, right? So we were, Oh, we had a, a fun situation, right? Like we're in the best scenario where we we're overcommitted to our round and we got to pick the people that we thought were strategic and were actually going to help us. Um, you know, so everyone that, that came in the round, like we believe is and has been, which has been amazing. It's like help us like, you know, get to our goal. Yeah. And then finally, if you had to interview one founder, who would you most want to interview and why? Oh man. Um, Oh, does it have to, does it have to be tech? No, I mean, it could be anyone. I'll even say, you know, alive or dead just to make it interesting. Oh man, that's even crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I'd say, I'd say right. I would, I would just say just like right now, I just say like Jeff Bezos, just like for saying um, that guy, it seems like one of the most interesting people out there. I've read a lot about him. I obviously read his book. I'm sure. And if you haven't, I'd highly recommend it. Um, but you know, I think that guy is a complete animal, right? So he, like, I would love to understand like how his mind works. Um, you know, the way that they have done everything with Amazon, they've completely changed, like, you know, you could say like Amazon has completely changed the world. Mm -hmm. 
No, I agree. And I'd also, say, I'd also say Phil Knight. I, I also just read, if you read Shoe Dog too, I'd also want to interview Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. My God, mm-hmm. he was his. Did, did you read that book? No, not yet, but it's on my list. He was like, if he wrote it, and it says it did, he was like one of the most eloquent writers I've ever, I've ever read, especially on, on the founder standpoint. His story is extremely interesting. And at the end of the book, you feel like you're like best friends with him. Um, <laughs> it stops like right as they go IPO, like right in 1980. And I would love to understand like what were the biggest things that he was working for to basically take it from, you know, a, a, a pretty big company to like a massive empire that they've created. So uh, maybe you switch that to Phil Knight. I, I would I'd love to interview him. I like that because I've heard enough about uh, Jeff Bezos already for my show. So it's great to hear yeah, something new. Yeah, that's true. I changed the film name. Even though I I, uh, I wonder if mine would be Jeff Bezos just because I come from a developer background. So I look at Amazon like in terms of AWS rather than right. Amazon Prime. I know there's so many things that they've completely changed. Um, you know, like AWS so that just came out of them. They're like... They basically said there needs to be a better way. What do you know? Like they're the one of the biggest hosts out there now. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah. thank you so much for making time to come on my show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. appreciate the time. And that's it for this week's episode of 52 Founders. Be sure to check us out at 52founders.com and follow us on Twitter at 52founders to stay up to date. I'm your host, Chrissy Costa, and I'll see you next week for episode 18.